Amen. Let's stand together and turn to page 377. 377, we serve a living God, and the words of this song say, He lives. Amen. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. His hand of mercy, I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see His loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy past. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me Rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King The hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find None other is so loving, so good and kind Come on, He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way he lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. And that ought to keep you singing. 5, 4, 34. He keeps me singing. Amen. 4, 34. There's within my heart a melody Jesus whispers sweet and low Fear not, I am with thee, peace be still In all of life's ebb and flow Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Sweetest name I know Fills my every singing as I go. All my life was wrecked by sin and strife. Discord filled my heart with pain. Jesus wept across the broken strings, stirred the slumbering chords again. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every singing as I go, feasting on the riches of His grace, 
resting neath the sheltering wing, always looking on his smiling face. That is why I shout and sing. Jesus, 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 sweet his name I know. Fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. You sound great, though sometimes he leads through waters deep. Trials fall across the way, though sometimes the path seems rough and steep. See his footprints all away. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Soon he's coming back, soon he's coming back to welcome me. Far beyond the starry sky. I shall wing my flight to worlds unknown. I shall reign with him on high. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we're thankful for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, we ask that you would take this time and that we would work together to worship you this morning. We thank you for the beautiful hymns. Lord, we're thankful that you are the reason we sing. And Lord, we ask that as we investigate your word during the preaching time, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in each heart and life. I pray the message would be directed and, Lord, uh, that we would be able to hear not only with our ears but with our hearts, that not one of us would withhold from you that which you desire, that we may leave this place better able to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz. All right, just turn a couple pages to 422, 422. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same, amen? Oh, how sweet the glorious message simple faith may claim. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. Still he loves to save the sinful, heal the sick and lame. Cheer the mourner, come the tempest, glory to his name. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never, glory to his name. Glory to his name, glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. He who pardoned erring Peter never needs thou fear. He who came to faithless Thomas all thy doubts will clear. He who let the loved disciple on his bosom rest. Bids thee still with love and tender lean upon his breast. Let's sing it. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus. 
Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. He who made the raging billows walked upon the sea. Still can hush our wildest tempest as on Galilee. He who wept and prayed in anguish in Gethsemane drinks with us his cup of trembling in our agony. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. As of old he walked, we may us with them to abide. So Life's way he walketh ever near our side. Soon again shall we behold him wasting o'er the day. But we'll still this same Jesus as he went away. One more time. Yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Amen. And now let's turn to page 821. 821, pass the index, grace greater than our sin, amen. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount of Lord, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there 
there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Now this time we'll have the children 11 and under dismissed to the children's church. Now, as we sing this fourth verse, since you guys sound so lovely and wonderful, amen, on that uh, chorus, we're going to sing it a cappella. No instruments, just our beautiful voices. It's morning to the Lord. Verse 4. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe, you that are longing to see his face will you this moment his grace receive let's sing it grace grace god's grace grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace grace god's grace grace that is greater than all our sin amen you sound beautiful and you may be seated amen take your bibles if you would and we're going to start in mark chapter six this morning we're going to be moving around just a little bit and uh, i would like to try to preach on the hands of Jesus today and uh, we we often neglect and uh, don't look at hands and things like that but I mean if you're a student of people you you kind of study those things there's a lot you can tell about a person by their hands I remember one time uh, we were visiting a church as we were trying to get support to move here to New York City and uh, walked in the church and shook hands with the pastor and he grabbed both my hands and held them up and started looking at them. He said, these are not a preacher's hands. These are working man's hands. And uh, he, he looked at them and he said, what have you been doing? I said, well, we've been painting our bus and uh, I apologize because the paint that we use is uh was everything proof and so there's a little bit of gray here and a little bit of red there and i mean it just it took over a week for the paint just to wear off my hands and uh, very fortunately he was a man who was um shall we say mechanically declined uh, i mean the trying to do anything with his hands was a total mystery and so as we were doing the work, and I wasn't doing much, I was just making a mess. The actual man in our church was doing the painting there in Cleveland. And, uh, but he took one and he says, I'm going to take on a working man. I said, man, wow, I didn't know they meant that much. And, uh, and they did take us on for support and helped us for many years as we were starting this church. And, and uh, you look at someone's hands, and if they have calluses and are, are rather rough, I remember my grandfather's hands. He had the biggest fingers of anybody I have ever seen. And uh, 
Most of it was due to arthritis and different things that had set in over the years. He worked in a brickyard. I don't know if you've ever seen, it's a round clay tile. Looks like a piece of pipe this big. It just made out of clay, the same material brick. And he used to put one of those on each finger and pick them up and take them out of the kiln. And of course, no wonder why his fingers weren't that big around. I mean, he had the biggest fingers you ever saw. He could reach down and those tiles probably weighed 25, 30 pounds each. And he put four on each hand and just pick them up and walk out of the place. And uh, it would be blazing hot and he would do that all day long. There's a lot you can study about a person's hands, a lot you can know. I can't wait to see the hands of Jesus. How about you? Now, we get all kinds of romantic ideas about how beautiful and attractive Jesus must have been personally while he was here on earth. But we read Isaiah chapter 53, and it tells us exactly the opposite. There was nothing about him that would draw us to him. Now, you read Revelation chapter 1, and the glorified Christ is going to be completely different than the one that walked here on earth. And Jesus did many things with his hands. He was raised the son of a carpenter. He had to know what to do. I mean... Uh, there was cutting and there was shaping of the wood and there was uh, putting it together and, and uh, it's not like today where you just get the tools and, and you've got all these power tools to do everything and you set everything up and you go to the store and, you know, we, we think we're a woodworker because we can go buy a cabinet kit at Home Depot and put it up and it looks good. Hey, all the work's been done, my friend. Uh, when you start out with the tree and end up with something that looks like something, that's craftsmanship. And, and they didn't have a choice in those days because uh, Home Depot hadn't been invented yet. You had to go out and find the tree and make your own lumber. I mean, Jesus was, was a man, it, and, and he knew how to do things with his hand. But that's not what made Jesus who he is, Amen. I love the story, and we don't have time to cover them all, where Jesus spit on the ground and reached down and made clay out of the spittle in the dust. And it says he anointed a man's eyes who was blind. It's kind of interesting. Jesus took the same material that he did many centuries before to make man to repair that man's eyes because man was made out of the dust of the earth. And if you have any questions about that, uh, what is it? Analytical science has done a complete test of the body and what is in the body and what makes up the human body. And it is, strangely enough, the elements found in the human body mimic what is found in the dirt. Coincidence, right? Nah, scripture, amen? And Jesus did many things with his hands. And I want us to start in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start out a little bit on the negative this morning, but uh, hopefully we'll, 
will end up in a very positive note. Verse 1, it says, He went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought, how? By his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. I want us to start with the point here this morning that uh, we're talking about people who were offended at Jesus. I mean, these were people who did not want to accept him for who he is. They did not want to believe that he was any different. They had seen him grow up. He had grown up in their town. And they said, who in the world does this guy think he is? Where does this wisdom come from that he gets? You see, Jesus hadn't been to the university. He didn't have any paperwork to prove that he could read. But he got up there and read it anyway, didn't he? And they had heard the stories of all the things that Jesus had done. Now, sometimes in what we call small-town America, you'll have this same very thing that goes on where one of the local boys or girls grows up and becomes someone very famous, and they come home to visit the little town from which they came, and yet you'll find many people there going, ah, they're too big for us anymore. They... They know too much. They don't like it here anymore. They're the big city folks. They get offended because they're too concerned with themselves and not what's going on around them. You know, it's a humbling thing to be around someone who is truly great. It's a humbling thing. I mean, if the President of the United States walked in this room, no TV cameras, no nothing, just the President, I said, most of us would be very uncomfortable. I know I would be. How do, how do you act in front of the President? I mean, you, you can't just reach out and shake his hand and say, hey, George, how are you doing? You can't do that. That's not proper etiquette. And these people had heard all of these great things that Jesus had done. And instead of willingly humbling themselves and saying, how do we behave ourselves in the presence of such greatness? How in the world could God have blessed our little town of Nazareth with someone so great as this? They were offended. He's just too big for his britches. He just, you know, he has airs. You ever heard anybody say that? Hey, he just thinks he's, he's, he's so smart. Well, wait a minute. Jesus did none of those things. 
But before we finish this point, there's one thing I want us to get a hold of. Even those who were against Jesus, who were offended at him, who refused to believe that who he is who he said he is, they had to admit that his hands had done great things. It says right there that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. The end of verse 2. Things were done. It didn't make sense to these little town people. You've got to realize Nazareth, Nazareth was considered by most people uh, what the Appalachian region of American is considered today. Now, some of them say Appalachia, but I grew up not far from there, and we always called it Appalachian. And the Appalachian Mountains run down there from, through Pennsylvania and West Virginia and into Kentucky and the whole way to the state of Georgia. And, and you know, that area is kind of known for being, uh, shall we say, backwards. Yeah, I mean, it's just way out, away from civilization. Now, that doesn't mean those people are any inferior to anybody else. But sometimes people who come from those areas, when they look around and see all the stuff in the city, they get offended. Well, we've got a downtown office building. It's four stories high. And, and they get ridiculous about little things. because they won't let go of themselves. And they won't believe what's going on around them. But even those people who are so wrapped up in their own little world that they couldn't recognize who Jesus is, they had to admit that his hands had done mighty works. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I love this story. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. And we'll read through the first few verses here. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, I want us to get the story here. He was come down from the mountain. He had just finished preaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount. There were great multitudes there. Thousands of people had listened to Jesus as he taught what, what is rightfully called the greatest sermon recorded by mankind. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and here comes a leper. Now, you have to read in the Old Testament and understand that when a leper was in the midst of any people, he had to cover, put a covering on his upper lip and he had to cry, unclean, 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 anywhere he went. 
Now, leprosy, we know today, is a very contagious disease. And in those days, leprosy was a death sentence. There were no drugs. There was no cure. Sometimes leprosy would run its course, and you, it would leave you maimed for the rest of your life and covered with white, scaly skin from head to toe. More often than not, it would bring death. Sometimes it would take years of a lingering death. You could not live. You could not even enter your own home if you were a leper. They would have little colonies, little, little communities of lepers that lived out away from people and Friends and family would bring them food. They couldn't work a regular job. They, uh, and you talk about awful. I mean, the deformity that leprosy causes is enough to make even the strongest stomach turn. Here comes this multitude rejoicing and talking about what Jesus had just taught them. And as the multitude comes down the mountain... Here comes this guy going, unclean, unclean. And you could just see the people. Leprosy, scattering. And this man walks in the midst. I mean, you, can you imagine the chaos that he created just by being there? As people are running to get away from the leper and still trying to be close to Jesus and he walks right up to Jesus and he falls down on the ground and he worships him. Now you have to remember something. The Jewish people were very, very careful about this word called worship. It was not something that was rendered to anyone or anything but God and God alone. The first commandment was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second was, Thou shalt not make the unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not bow thyself down unto them. I mean, this was something that was ingrained in the hearts and lives of these people and everyone around knew what this leper was doing. He was venerating Jesus as God. Now there's all kinds of stuff I... Somebody had been playing with my radio and I turned it on last night. And I, you talk about crackpots. I don't know how anybody that stupid could get on the radio. But this guy was on there going on and on and on about this manuscript Emmanuel or something that was found and, and all of this and how that Jesus didn't even know that uh, he was going to be called Jesus Christ. This is what he said that Jesus was actually called Emmanuel and that he knew someday people would call him Jesus, but that really wasn't his name. Now, you talk about a blithering idiot. I mean, that guy's not smart enough to be planted in one of our planters here. He, he can't even make plant life. And he goes on and on and on, and I'm sitting there going, this is insane. Somebody actually pushes this over the airwaves and the commentator you could tell was getting very bored with this person who had called up and, and, and 
and trying to, and the, and the guy even says, well, I don't know much about the Bible, but I sure know a lot about this manuscript Emmanuel. And, oh, this leper knew a whole lot more than that ignorant scholar did, amen? In fact, you know, we've done this before. You've got to go to college to be that stupid, amen? Somebody's got to help you and train you. you it doesn't come naturally. You've got to work at it. This old leper knew who Jesus is, and he fell at his feet, and he worshipped him, and Jesus did something that was absolutely forbidden by the law for any normal human being. He reached out and he touched him. He used his hands. Now, we don't know how long this leper had been uh, controlled and, and had his life ruined by this disease. But just think about going without human touch. Not having any person be able to get close enough with you to put their arm around you, to give you a hug, to care for you. That's the life this leper had lived. And as long as he had this disease, there was no one, not even his own wife, who could have compassion and touch him because of the disease of leprosy. And yet Jesus took that hand and just reached out and touched him. In the Bible, leprosy is never talked about being healed, being made well. It's always being made clean. Leprosy is a picture or a type of sin because sin, just as leprosy, had separated this man from the love and affection of his family and his friends, sin will separate you from the love and the affection of, of God. And, and of everyone else, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what, my friends? It bringeth forth death, does it not? Now, here's the problem. If you or I had been there and we'd had compassion on this man and said, I just want to I, I give you a hug, brother, to encourage you, we would immediately be made unclean. We would have to take a bath. We would have to be sprinkled with the water of separation. We would have to throw away the clothes that we had because they had gotten the coming contact with the leprosy and all of those things. Uh, we could not go home for several days. We would have to literally camp out in the streets and make sure that the disease had not passed on to us. It was a horrible thing. Yet Jesus was so clean that when he touched something unclean, it had to be made clean, amen? Because Jesus could not be defiled because he is God. You can't make Jesus unclean. That's why when he touched the buyer with the little dead boy on it, unclean, oh, it became clean immediately because the little boy sat up and life came back into him. That's the power 
of Jesus. Now, the first group, they were offended. The only thing they knew were the stories. They never experienced it firsthand because they weren't willing to believe and willing to just allow something that doesn't make sense to their own little mind to be. But this leper was willing to come and honor Jesus for who he is. And Jesus said, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him at the touch of the hand of Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a beautiful truth? And the best thing is, it's not an allegory, my friend. It really happened. I mean, this leper really knelt at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him, and Jesus healed him, and he left clean and whole as if the disease had never touched his life. You know what? As a sin-sick soul today, you can come to the Master. And if you'll believe who he is and confess him as your Lord and your Savior, his touch will give you victory over sin and over yourself and over the world in which we live just from the touch of Jesus' hand. Let's go to another passage here, Mark, Matthew chapter 14, just a few chapters up. Matthew chapter 14. I love this story. Jesus had just fed the 6,000 up on the mountainside on the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He had sent them away. The disciples, they were, after they had seen this great miracle, it says they regarded it not. Their heart was hardened because they thought they were going on vacation. They thought they were going to get a break. And instead, they ended up feeding the 6,000. And Jesus constrained them, in verse 22 it tells us, into a ship to go before him the other side. He sent the multitudes away, verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if thou bid me to, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. Now, Every time I read this, I just got to stop. Here it is. They've been rowing, trying to cross the Sea of Galilee, about five miles wide. Now, if you think that's not very wide, you try to row across the sea. You try to row for five miles. You'll find out that's quite a little distance. But here's the catch. It was the fourth watch. Okay, so that is the one before sun up. It's probably about 3.30, 4 o'clock, maybe, maybe 4.30 in the morning right now. 
They have been working hard all night trying to get across the sea. How tired would you be now? And all of a sudden they see this form of a man gliding across the top of the water if he was taking a walk down the sidewalk. Now, this part, there's just part of me that would have loved to have seen all these grown men, big, strong men going, Ah! What is it? I mean, they were crying out for fear. And don't think you wouldn't be if you were there, all right? Somebody said, not me. I'd be too, scared. I'd be too afraid to even cry out, right? Uh, but, I mean, these guys were scared out of their wits, and Jesus hears them, and he says, Peace! Where is it here? He said, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And then Peter speaks up and he said, Lord, if it's really you, let me come out on the water with you. Now, I'm glad I'm not the Lord. Amen. He said, take it easy, young man. Take a break. Just relax. I'll be in the boat in a minute. But that's not what Jesus said, was it? Jesus said, come. He said, it's me, Peter. Come on out. Now, most of us that are here today, I'd say the vast majority of human beings, we do not want to be do nothing nobodies. Amen? I mean, do we want to just, okay, I went to work for 25 years, I paid all my bills, I died, I didn't do anything that mattered anything, all I did was I went to work and I did what needed to be done and I just got accomplished everything. There's nothing about my life that is unusual, extraordinary, or even noticeable. Do we have anybody here really wants to live like that? Okay, good. We're within a group of human beings. I mean, we want to do something, right? Amen? Peter was not satisfied with not being afraid. Amen? He wanted to do something a little bigger. He said, that looks cool. Jesus, will you let me walk on the water? Jesus said, sure. Come on out, Peter. Now, this is the thing I don't understand the least. I understand this the least, I should say. Peter got out of the boat. I mean, I, I think I would have wanted to wait until Jesus got right next to the boat, and then I could hold his hand the whole time and all of that, but Peter said, he said, get out. I'm getting out. And he jumps over the side of the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night after he's been rowing all night. And he starts walking on the water to go see Jesus. Only he was really doing it. I remember when I was just a young man, they had this big thing that they tried to blow up all day on the news broadcast that some <clears throat> brainless wonder, though they didn't use those words, was going to walk on the water in Baltimore Harbor. 
Now, there are places in Baltimore Harbor where it doesn't take a miracle to walk on the water because it's so full of trash that you just wouldn't have to worry about anything. But this was a place where the water actually was, and they were talking about how they're going to have a new special, and the camera crew was out, and he was going to walk on the water and all of this. And he had styrofoam pontoons this big that he had specially built, and he tied his feet to them, and he was out there scooting around in the harbor, and the news made a big deal about that. I guess they just didn't have enough to show uh, to fill up the time spot or something. I mean, you talk about... You see, if a human being actually walks on the water, there are some things that have to be changed. It's easy to walk on water if it's ice and you got a pair of cleats on. But when it's wet, without a miracle, without suspending the laws of nature, you cannot walk on water. It's an impossibility. Jesus said, come, and Peter went. Now, we all know what happened next, don't we? Look at verse 30. It says, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore? didst thou doubt? How many of you felt like Peter right now? Wherefore didst thou doubt that reprimand that Jesus gave him? How many times do we find ourselves, and it's not extraordinary, just going through the ordinary practices of life, we try to step out on faith and immediately we feel ourselves sinking and we say, Lord, you're going to have to do something. Let me tell you, his hands were there, amen? They were close enough to catch him. It says he caught him. I mean, Peter was on his way down. Two and a half, three miles from land, you go on your way down, guess what? You're not coming back up to stay anyway. Jesus caught him, and Peter got back in the boat. But I want us to understand something this morning. The Lord was not against Peter trying to walk on the water. God is not against doing miracles in our lives. Amen? God is for doing things that will bring honor and glory to his name. But it's easy for you and I to get distracted with everything that's going on around us. But I want you to remember something. It's his hand that's close enough to still save. Amen? It's his hand that is still there. When we try to do something by faith, remember 
his hand is still there. It's a whole lot easier to walk on the water if you're holding Jesus' hand, amen? It's a whole lot easier to do something if you have that contact with the Lord. Now, one more passage and we'll be done. Let's turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples wherefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails. And put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. It's interesting, the first thing that Jesus showed the disciples were his hands. The same hands that had touched the lepers, the same hands that had caught Peter, the same hands that picked up the scroll in Nazareth and read it and was rejected by the people that were there. Only this time they were torn and, and mangled by the nails that had held him to the cross. And you know, a lot of people want to say, well, they didn't put the nails in his hand, they put them through his wrist, and they did this and they did that. You know, we don't have to argue about that, nor do we have to worry about it. It said Jesus showed him his hands. One person aptly said, there's only one thing in heaven made by man, and that will be the scars in Jesus' hands. an interesting thought, is it not? The disciples saw and believed. Thomas 
He must have been from New York City. He said, if I don't see it, I'm not going to believe it. If I can't touch it, I refuse to accept your testimony. And Jesus came said, here they are, Thomas. What did Thomas do? He fell on his face and said, my Lord and my God. Now, Jesus made a statement. He said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Not a one of us in this room have seen the hands of Jesus physically. Not a one of us have felt that touch as the leper did that day. Or that firm grip as Peter did as he was sinking beneath the waves and Jesus caught him and lifted him up to the surface. But Jesus just said, we don't need to. We can have that same work by faith, amen? Now, we can take time, we can stop the service right here and, and just start around this room and say, who would like to give a testimony as, as to the work of Jesus Christ in their life? Physical evidence is that Jesus has done something in your life, and we can have many testimonies. He took my life that was all messed up, and he gave me peace, he gave me direction. He, some would say that, I've had uh, terrible bouts with diseases and things, and he has brought me through this time. Others would say he supplied my needs when there was nothing there to supply our needs. As a church, we're sitting in, in a miracle that God has done in giving our little church this building. We think of all those things. But tomorrow is another day. Do we believe the hand of Jesus is going to bring us through tomorrow? Or are we struggling trying to figure it out on our own? Do we take the problems and the difficulties that face us? Do we take the battles that we must fight against ourselves and the world and sin and all of these things around us? Do we put them under the hand of the Savior? Do we expect that touch by faith through contact in this word? Or do we just put the book on the shelf and try to figure it out and hope it will all be fine? I don't know about you, but I need the touch of the Savior's hand. This is as close as you're going to get, reading his words and praying. Don't look for some miraculous phenomena. Don't look for some great emotional experience. Look for the reality of what is written and being able to pray that back to the Father in victory over the battles we face in this flesh and in this world. 
being able to share the gospel with another human being. You want victory. There it is, my friend. And being able to live the way Jesus would have us to live. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would help us to think about your hands and the things that they have done. Lord, we're most thankful for the nail marks that are there, the scars. We're thankful that those hands are ever open unto our prayers. Lord, we're thankful that we don't have to see those hands to know that they are there and they are working. We ask that you would be with those that are here today that are unsaved, that they would just surrender and believe. Lord, we pray for those that are struggling with the things of this life, that we would just come back and submit ourselves to the hands of the Savior. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in each heart and life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation this morning is 558. The nail-scarred hands of Jesus.